Welcome to Calvary Live. We are so glad you could join us through our podcast. Here at Calvary, we want you to live life at the highest level through a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. We hope today's message will be an encouragement. I want to ask you this morning to turn in your Bibles to Colossians chapter 1. We'll look at a scripture there in just a moment. You know, I have been blessed. I've been pastoring for 45 years, and I have been doing uh, counseling for about 35, 36 years, and probably the majority of that counseling has been marriage um, and pre-marriage counseling. And I've learned a lot of things through counseling But one of the things that I have learned, and I was sharing this with our marriage life group this past Thursday night, I have learned that marriage, when when you boil it down, marriage is psychological. And what I mean by that is one spouse is logical and the other spouse is psycho, okay? (laughs) She's already pointing at me. Am I the logical one? Oh, okay. So I'm the psycho. I saw fingers pointing all over the place. Pastor has been speaking to us about prayer. And really, the things that Pastor has been sharing for several months now I believe, is positioning us and leading us into the next great move that God has here at Calvary. Now, I am thankful for what is happening happening at Asbury and other college campuses all across the nation. But you know what, guys? God is going to do something right here. He is doing something right here. Amen, amen. Give God praise for what he's doing. Give a shout, give a hand clap. And we have to continue to have a spirit of expectancy. Even as God is doing, I believe we need to expect for it to get greater and stronger and stronger and greater move of his Holy Spirit. So I want to speak to you this morning on why pray and also along with that praying and speaking the blessing that will be kind of a jumping off point at where Pastor ended his message last week. But why would... I guess I should open my Bible. Let me get over here to Colossians. Why would... An omniscient, omnipotent God need us to pray. When God is able, fully capable of doing all things, why would he need you, why would he need me to pray? Well, in Colossians 1, beginning at verse 15, it says, The Son is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. For in Him all things were created, things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, 
whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities, all things have been created through him and for him. Every part, every part of creation was created in perfect order and perfect balance. How many of you know and understand that Jesus being the Word, God the Father, as they spoke things into existence, that they knew what they were doing? Matter of fact, every time God would create something on a different day, He would look at it and He would say, that's good. That's good. And for God to look at something and say that's good, it is in perfect order and in perfect balance. God did not create the fish before there was water. He didn't create grass until after he had, no, he created the grass first, then the cattle. I'm sorry, I'm getting ahead of myself. But all of creation was designed to function under and within a system of laws, natural, physical, and spiritual laws. And we need to understand that God himself has chosen, he has chosen to operate within those laws that he established. God doesn't send good or bad weather depending on how he felt when he got up this morning. He created a law that says when warm, moisture-filled air meets cool air, that clouds are going to form, and it's very likely that it's going to rain. There even be, may even be some thunder showers with that. But that's the way God created that law to operate. So how does a sovereign God in a universe created by laws, implement his will in a world that is under the dominion of a rebel. Because Adam and Eve turned it over to a rebel. Well, we know and understand the law of gravity. The law of gravity is a very important law. As a matter of fact, if I were to get much closer to the edge of this stage, you would see the law of gravity in action. You've never seen an oversized old big man go splat, but the law of gravity would cause that to happen very quickly if I got too close to the edge of the stage. The law of gravity is important. But you know, most of us in this room, we have boarded an airplane sometime in our life, and that airplane with its passengers and with all the luggage and all of the cargo probably weighed in at multiple tons. Not a few pounds, but tons. And yet it rolls down the runway, gets up enough speed and it will eventually take off and climb to a cruising altitude of somewhere between 30 and 35,000 feet until it gets close to its destination, and then it will land. But in all of that, not one time was the law of gravity broken. But the laws of velocity, 
the laws of aerodynamics, they begin to work together to overcome the pull of gravity so that that airplane can take off. And God has made it so that when we pray, and we pray according to the Word of God, not according to our will, not according to what I want, but according to the Word of God, that when we pray, that allows God, He chooses then to work by His Word, and He chooses to allow your prayers and mine to work, and we can begin to see a difference in our life, our family's life, and our world. I don't understand why we Christians will watch the news on the television or will read something on our iPhone or iPad or whatever and it's what's going on in the world and we'll get mad and we'll curse it. But how many of us see that and then we go to our prayer room and we begin to pray and we begin to ask God to move in the lives of those people but even more than that, to move in our life so that we don't have hatred, so we don't have anger, so we don't have animosity, but what we have is a love for a fallen generation that they will come to Jesus Christ and know what true salvation is. Let's go over to 2 Kings, and this is something that Pastor, this is a scripture that he shared with us for two Sundays. And I found it more than interesting that Pastor has shared it. And matter of fact, he's shared it many other times, but for the last two weeks he has shared it. Last Sunday night, Charlie Kane mentioned it. And then Encore had a luncheon yesterday, and Karen Gray, a lady that Sharon and I have known ever since we've been in Alabama, and uh, Ricky and Donna Brewington, they've known her for many years. She came and spoke to us, and it's while she was speaking and praying over us, she began to declare that God has put the arrow in our hands, but we must know what to do with those arrows. So I want us to read the scripture again in 2 Kings chapter 13. 2 Kings 13. I want to begin reading with verse 18. Then he said, this is Elisha speaking to the king, take the arrows, and the king took them. Elisha told him, strike the ground, and he struck it three times and stopped. The man of God was angry with him and said, you should have struck the ground five or six times, then you would have defeated Aram and completely destroyed it, but now... You will defeat it only three times. You know, I was listening to that and reading that scripture, and I know I heard very clearly that's one of the problems that we have in our lives. God has put the arrows in our hand. He has given us Jesus Christ as our Savior. He's given us the infilling of the Holy Spirit. He's given us the Word of God. He's put the arrow in our hands. And when we have something in our life that keeps drawing us back to the world, or we have something in our life that continues to bring sin into our life, instead of taking those arrows and beating and beating and beating and beating that thing until it's out of our life, 
we only do it two or three times, and we never fully defeat it. And the reason is we haven't done what God has fully called us to do. Now, ladies and gentlemen, there is no condemnation in this message today. There is nothing for you to feel guilty about, but I want to encourage me, you, us, that we take the arrows that God has given us and we beat the sin out of our lives through prayer that we pray and that we pray and then we pray some more. I know there's times that the enemy, I, I, I will have brought something before God, prayed over it, No, God heard my prayer, and then I walk away and the enemy will try to bring something to my mind, and I will declare again, no, I cast down every thought and imagination that would exalt itself against the knowledge of God, and the knowledge of God tells me that I have the mind of Christ and I know that the mind of Christ is pure. I know the mind of Christ is holy. I know the mind of Christ desires to do the perfect will of God. And I thank you, God, that that's what I have. And ladies and gentlemen, if I have to do it one time, if I have to do it 10 times, if I have to do it 100 times, I'll do it ever how many times I need to do it until the enemy no longer has a stronghold in my mind or in my heart and I'm set free and the Spirit of God is not only upon me, but he's in me and he's moving and flowing. Hallelujah. I will pray and I will pray and I will pray. We see God moving and I've already heard it mentioned this morning. It might have been Pastor Adrian. I don't remember, but someone mentioned what God was doing at Asbury and the other, many other colleges around the world. But you know, every time we see that, it be has begun with prayer and repentance. They said that at Asbury, that's, that they were worshiping, they were praying, and they were repenting. Go, go with me over to 1 Thessalonians. I've got several scriptures today, so I just want you to stay with me. 1 Thessalonians, I know they'll put it up on the screen, but if you've got your Bible or your iPhone or whatever, let's look at it together. As I mentioned a moment ago, we need to pray and pray and pray some more. <laughs> I've, he I've heard this term, pray like your life depended on it. And you know what? Our lives do depend on it. Oh, we don't, we don't understand yet. We don't know yet what God wants to bring us into. We've not seen the full beauty and glory and holiness and power and anointing that God wants to bring us into. And you know what? I'm tired of living a mundane life. And so, yes, my life depends on it. And so I'm going to pray as though my life depends on it. And look at what Paul said in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, beginning at verse 15. Make sure that nobody pays back wrong for wrong, but always strive to do what is good for each other and for everyone else. Rejoice always. Pray eh, every now and then. Pray eh, just when I'm sick. 
Pray uh, just when I need more money. Pray continually. I have found that if I will pray more continually, that sickness leaves, that finances are available, that the anointing of God is there. Everything I need is there when I pray continually. And he even goes on to say, give thanks in all circumstances, not for them, but in them, for this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. When we pray, and when prayer is implemented properly, the law of prayer allows God to exercise his will on the earth. I can't tell you the times that I've had someone in counseling and they've shared with me their problems and I'll ask them a simple question. Have you prayed about it? And they'll look at me and say, well, Pastor Tony, no. And I almost feel like saying, well, then why are you talking to me about it? I can't give you the answer. I can't produce the answer in your life. Only God can. I, now, I love counseling. I love giving people the word of God and encouraging them and see hope return to their life. But ladies and gentlemen, when we have a situation in our life that is bringing problems into our life, the first thing we need to do is go to God in prayer. Amen. <laughs> I felt like being Pastor Sawyer saying thank you for that one hand clap. <laughs> Don't you love it when he does that? Don't you love our pastor? Amen. Amen. But when we, when you choose to obey God and you want his will to be done more than your own will, well, I could stay right here for a while. Because you see, I, I, I've learned that most prayer is not really seeking the will of God but it's telling God what he ought to do. It's, it's like God really didn't realize that. He said, oh, I'm so glad you came and prayed today and told me what to do. I was wondering about it. Thank you for giving me clarity on that. No, he doesn't need clarity. He's God. What he needs for us to do is to yield ourselves to him, bow down before him, pray the word of God before him, remind him of his promises like he told us to do. Yield to the word and the will of God, and then God begins to move in our lives. But when we want his will more than we want our own, then we pray, thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. We need to pray that regularly, daily, more than one time. God, may your will be done in this situation on earth as it is in heaven. God, may you move in the lives of the people who do not know you here on earth so that they can know you in heaven. And then when you pray, when you begin to pray that prayer, thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heavens, the conditions under which God can legally bring about his will is put in place over conditions, 
and over situations. Look, understand this. Prayer doesn't change the mind of God, but it allows God to do his will on earth even as it is in heaven. I read years and years and years ago when I was praying and studying about a a message on prayer, John Wesley said this, God does nothing but in answer to prayer. When you haven't seen God move, then I have to question you, have you prayed? If you haven't seen God move and you have prayed, have you prayed long enough? Guys, sometimes it takes more, and I heard pastor say it last week, more than a little lay me down to sleep prayer, more than a little lunch or dinner prayer. We may need to intercede. We may need to pray and pray and pray again and enter the throne room of God and grab hold of the horns on the altar and not let go until we see God move in not just in our life, but the lives of the people that we're praying for. Go with me over to the book of James and we're going to look at several scriptures here. Our battles are not with flesh and blood. You are not my enemy. They, the world, they're not my enemy. They may not agree with me. They may be woke. It always amazes me they use words that really doesn't fit the situation. They're not woke. They're blinded. They're asleep. But you know what? They're not my enemy. I may not like what they're saying. I may not like what they're doing. But then that calls me to my prayer room even more to pray for them. Because you know what? I can't change them. But you know who can change them? The Holy Spirit of the living God. We need to love them and pray for them. You know, I'm so, I'm so glad. The Bible does tell us to love everyone. But I, I'm glad that we're not told that we have to like everybody. <laughs> I'll go ahead and say it. So see, the next time I walk up to you and say, love you, brother. You may not hear that, but I don't like you. No, I wouldn't do anyone here that way. Some of y'all said, yes, you would. No, I wouldn't. James chapter 4, and beginning at verse 2. You desire, but do not have, so you kill. You covet but you cannot get what you want, so you quarrel and fight. You do not have because you do not ask God. As I was reading that, I was reminded of the very first church that Sharon and I pastored. And the previous pastor that had just left, he had already gotten the church involved in purchasing new carpet for the sanctuary. And so we walked into a 
church divided fight. One, this side wanted blue carpet, and this side wanted gold mingledy carpet. I remember. And they were arguing with one another. But this is what I found out. None of them had prayed about it. They had not prayed together. How many of you know that when you pray with someone, that it's very unlikely that you're going to continue to argue with them? I ask husbands and wives all the time who come to me and they have fought and fought and fought and fought. And I said, have you prayed together? Have you asked God to move in your heart and the heart of your spouse? And they'll say no. And I'll say, no wonder you want this, you want this, but you don't have it because you've not asked God. Verse 3 says, when you ask, you do not receive because you ask with wrong motives. Oh, God, make Sharon to be a better woman. You see how much distance is between us when I say something like that? Every time I have ever prayed and asked God to do something in her life, he'll always say, but what about this in your life? What about this in your life? What about this in your life? So I just quit praying for her, and I just pray for me. No, no, that's, that's, I, I wasn't going in that direction. So I pray and ask God to make me a better husband so I can give the things that I need to give to her through the Holy Spirit and through Jesus Christ. So he said, when you ask, you do not receive because you ask with wrong motives that you may spend what you get on your pleasures. You adulterous people, don't you know that friendship with the world means enmity against God? Therefore, anyone who chooses to be a friend of the world becomes an enemy of God? Look, there's nothing wrong with standing outside the beer joint and witnessing to the people as they come out. But what this scripture says, if you choose to go in the beer joint, and imbibe with them while you're in there that you are then becoming friends with the world and you have become an enemy with God. Ooh. Now, you know me, I'm full of grace and I'm full of mercy, but God's word is full of truth and he's put truth in my heart today and I've got to speak it out. We are too close to the world. You know, when I was growing up in the Pentecostal church, we used to hear this prayer. God baptized him with the Holy Ghost and fire. Fire burns away every impurity. Fire burns away those things that are not of God. I want the fire of God in my life. Sometimes I, I realize it, sometimes I don't. But when the fire of the Holy Ghost comes in, it burns those things out as I allow it to do so. Look, look with me at James chapter 3 and beginning at verse 8. Now this is what pastor ended with. I think he ended with this last week. Forgive me if I'm wrong about the exact 
timing in the message, but I'm pretty sure it was at the end. James chapter 3 and verse 8 says, But no human can tame the tongue. It is a restless evil, full of deadly poison. With the tongue, we praise our Lord and Father, and with it we curse human beings who have been made in God's likeness. Out of the same mouth come praise and cursing. My brothers and sisters, this should not be. Can both fresh water and salt water flow from the same spring? My brothers and sisters, can a fig tree bear olives or a grapevine bear, bear figs? Neither can a salt spring produce fresh water. In order to produce fresh water, you've got to have a fresh water spring. And the only way to have a fresh water spring is to have the Holy Ghost and fire living and working and moving in your life because the fire will burn all the dross away. The fire will burn everything away that is like the world. And then we will have fresh water coming from us. The world needs that. The world is hearing everything except what God is wanting to do in their lives. They're hearing everything except the Word of God. Turn with me to 1 Peter chapter 3. 1 Peter 3. And I, I want to stay here for just a moment on this, chat, on this scripture. 1 Peter 3 beginning at verse 8. Finally, all of you be like-minded, be sympathetic, love one another, be compassionate and humble. Do not, do not, do not repay evil with evil or insult with insult. Well, you slap me, I'm going to slap you. You insult me, I'm going to insult you. You know, in over 51 years of marriage, I can honestly say that neither she nor I have insulted one another as my wife or as her husband. I've never heard an insult come out of her mouth toward me. And before God, I believe I'm speaking the truth. I've never made an insulting remark back to her then we, I don't have to worry about trading insult with insult. But when it comes to the world, I get insulted all the time by people. You probably do too. Especially when they find out that you are a born-again child of the living God. Then they ask you some question about the book of Revelation. And all, that, all they know is that little part that they've read. You just need to stick with the fact, and the fact is that they need Jesus Christ as their Savior and stick with those facts. Don't give arguing for arguing, insult for insult, but let's look what Peter went on to say. He told, tells us not to repay evil with evil, insult with insult. On the contrary, listen to this. This is the Word of God. The Holy Spirit told Peter to put these words down. He said, repay evil with blessing. Now, guys, I'm going to be honest with you. I have to work on that. 
because there are times that, that I would love to repay evil with evil. But you know what? My Jesus never did that. He never gave evil for evil. He never gave an insult for an insult. No, but it says, let me go back to it. Do not repay evil with evil or insult with insult. On the contrary, repay evil with blessing because to this you were called so that you may inherit a blessing. I struggled with that for years. And then when we were still pastoring in South Carolina, I heard a message on the patriarchal blessings, and I began to study it. And yes, that is primarily for the family. I understand that. But if you go through the Bible, people would enter covenant with one another, and they would speak and declare blessings over one another. And then we come over to the New Testament where Jesus Christ has died on the cross for all of us. And, and again, he says here in verse 9, do not repay evil with evil or insult with insult. On the contrary, repay evil with blessing because to this you were called so that you may inherit the blessing. So I began to put that in practice in my life and I began to speak blessings over people. Once again, in that first church that we were pastoring, I had a treasurer of the church that it was his life goal to get rid of me as the pastor of that church. Sharon walked, on, walked in on him and another deacon in a Sunday school class, and they were talking about their plans on how to get rid of me. And you know what? I could kind of take that, but then... Jack began to tell lies about me and Sharon. He brought my wife into it. And my first reaction was, God, can I smack him? How do you think God answered that? No. I tell you what I would do. It got so deep in my heart. We had about an acre of property that we lived on there. And a lot of weeds grew on that. And I was out cutting grass with a push mower. And we had these little weeds that would grow up and they had a little head on the top of them. And as I was going down through there, I would see Jack Blackwell on the head of that weed. And I'd take my lawnmower and I'd mow him down. Hallelujah. And I'll be honest with you, for a while that felt good. Until the voice of the Holy Spirit began to say, that's a curse that you're speaking over Jack Blackwell. Oh, my God. I just remembered this is going live stream and I'm calling names. Okay, what I'm about to say next is a lie. Jack Blackwell lived in New York State, okay? <laughs> oh, Jesus. <laughs> Your sins will find you out. But let me tell the rest of the story because it does get all right. 
And I was mowing him down, and the Holy Spirit began to say, you're speaking a curse. You're delivering a curse over him. Is that what you want to happen is for him to die? And I said, no, God, what I want to happen is for his heart to truly be changed. I didn't really doubt of salvation. I believe that if he died, he would go to heaven. But he had so much of the world in his heart and life. He had so much religiosity in his heart and life. He needed to be changed. He needed to be delivered. And so I began to pray for him. I forgave him first. God told me I was going to have to forgive him. And so I prayed and I said, God, I choose to forgive Jack. And about I don't know, a few hours later, all of those feelings came back, and I said, Satan, no, I will not allow those feelings because I have chosen to forgive Jack. And the next day, those feelings would come back, and I'd say, Satan, no, I have chosen to forgive Jack. And I had to do that for several days, but I'm telling you, after doing that and declaring blessings over him, the only time I ever think about it, the only time I stick my foot in my mouth is when I actually use it as an illustration in a message. It's not on my heart. I don't ever go back there and wish those things for him because God delivered me. God set me free from that because I began to speak a blessing, but I forgave him first. I chose to forgive him. Now, in, go back to the book of James, and I want to bring another, another scripture in here. James chapter 4. And beginning at verse 7, James 4, beginning at verse 7, submit yourselves then to God. See, that's what I had to do first. I had to submit myself to God. Look, I'm just being transparent because it is what it is. I am who I am, but praise God, His grace and mercy fills me and covers me. Amen? I may be an imperfect human, but I am a born-again, spirit-filled with fire human, hallelujah, because of Jesus Christ. And so James says, James 4, verse 7, Submit yourselves then to God. Then you can resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Come near to God. Come near to God, and he will come near to you. Wash your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. Grieve, mourn, and wail. Change your laughter to mourning and your joy to gloom. Humble yourselves before the Lord, and He will lift you up. Let me tell you something. From that moment that I chose to forgive Him, and that moment that I began to speak blessings over him, and I, it happened every day, every day, God began to move in my life, Sharon's life, and in that church's life. And let me tell you, we had a sovereign move of God. I've got to tell you this. On Sunday nights, we, we had Sunday night service. We would have the Baptists come visit. We'd have the Methodists come visit. We'd have the Presbyterians come visit. We'd have the sinners come visit. And as they would come in on Sunday night, God would move. People were getting saved. 
people were being baptized with the Holy Spirit, we were having a revival in that little town on the backside of a cotton mill in Clinton, South Carolina. And then something phenomenal happened. I had a Baptist brother that his people, some of them were coming over on Sunday night to check us out. God was moving. I'd pray for people, and they would be slain. This is when it was first happening. It was, it was a phenomenon. People were being slain in the spirit. And he got up one Sunday morning, and he said, let me tell you something. Don't you go over there to Tony and Sharon Willis's church. I can tell you how people are being slain. They've got carpet, and what they've done is they've run electrical wires under that carpet. And Tony gets to preaching and he gets to sweating. And when he lays hands on you, it shocks you and you fall down. I thought about that and I thought, well, if it shocked them, it would shock me and I would fall down too. But you know what happened? More and more and more of his people started coming over on Sunday night. And they began to be filled with the Holy Spirit. Guys, I don't believe it would have happened if I hadn't have changed my heart. Now, I know this, our pastor's heart are pure before God. I've heard them pray. What we've got to do is line up not just with our pastors, but line up with the Word of God, line up with the Holy Spirit, and let the Holy Spirit move in our lives, and God will do here what He's always wanted to do. We have seen, you have seen, those of you who have been at Calvary, God move in mighty, mighty, mighty ways. Matter of fact, we were pastoring a church across town. Mario Marilla was here at Calvary on the Beltline. I used to call off Sunday night services, and we'd go over to hear Mario Marilla, and we got involved in revival. And then God moved me. He said, I'm going to let you be a part of that. Now, I love Trinity Chapel. They were good people. They were blessing us. But because we had a heart's desire to be involved in what God was doing, he opened a door. He opened a door, and pastor heard that. I'm so glad our pastor is a man of prayer, that our pastor seeks God above all things and his will, that his will may be done here on earth even as it is in heaven. I want to keep up with my time. Uh, what I'm about to share, I've shared a little bit before. You know, Romans chapter 12 and verse 14 says, Bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse. And Luke 6 verse 28 tells us, Bless those who curse you. Pray for those who mistreat you. Um, I think I had a, a really good childhood. Um, didn't know we were poor until somebody from church brought some stuff over and gave it to us, and I asked Mom, why are they doing that? And uh, <laughs> she began to explain it. Well, you know what? didn't matter. God provided The only negative part, and you've got to stay with me and hear the end of this story. 
The only really negative part in my life growing up was my dad's alcoholism. Um, and dad didn't drink beer. He didn't even drink store-bought liquor. Dad drank moonshine. You know, moonshine's got a certain kick to it that'll make you mean. And, and my daddy could be mean. Now, he never abused me physically. Please hear me. He never abused me physically. What my dad would do in his meanness is he would abuse his family verbally and psychologically. And I heard a statement from my dad. Some of you have heard me say this before. But he would say this every day of my life. He'd say, boy, you don't have enough brains to get out of a shower of. And you know what? If my dad's saying that, that must be true. And so I began to live like that. Now, I was a kid. And as I was getting up to be about 12 and 13 years of age, I was a rascal kid. If there was any trouble I could get into, I would do it. We lived on a what we called in South Carolina a mill hill. There was a cotton mill there. Matter of fact, our city had five cotton mills. And all the villages around it, it was called a mill hill. And on the street you lived on, everybody knew everybody else on that street. And my mama had told all of her neighbor, uh, lady neighbors that if you see him doing something he shouldn't do, you go ahead and give him a whipping before he gets home to me. And I'm telling you, there were times I'd get two or three whippings before I'd get home, and then Mama would whip me again. And I know now it wasn't my fault. It was my daddy's fault because he told me, you don't have enough brains to get out of a shower of... And I lived that way. Until, until, I met two people, and even though she's important in my life, the most important one that I met was Jesus Christ. I really got saved. How many of you were like me that you got saved every revival? Because, you know, there'd always be one message that evangelists would preach on hellfire and brimstone. God, I don't want to go to hell, so forgive me. And then I'd go back out and live like a fool. Then I, it would happen over again. But there was a time that I really met Jesus Christ as my Savior, and he brought Sharon into my life. We got married, and we began to pastor. We're in the church there in Clinton, it was another church that God had called us to start. And I was down at the pulpit area praying. And I was praying for different people and I prayed, God, I want you to save my daddy. And I heard the Holy Spirit say, you don't mean that. And I said, yes, I do. And he said, no, you don't. Because if you meant it, you would have forgiven him already. If you meant it, you would speak blessings over him. If you meant it, you would have him as your father to declare a blessing over you. And I said, no, whoa, 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 wait a minute. He's not even born again. 
And once again, I heard the Holy Spirit say, but he's your father. He's your authority on earth. So after talking to Sharon about it, after praying about it for some, some length of time, I drove one morning the 60, 65 miles from where we lived to mom and dad's house. Dad was actually sober that morning. And I, I believe this was all set up by God. He was sober. <laughs> and, and my mama was already praying before I got there. Because I kind of filled her in on what I was going to do. And I got there and we began to talk and I said, Daddy, I, I said, I know we haven't had the best of relationship over the years, but I'm going to ask you to do something today. I want you to lay your hand on my head and I want you to bless me. And he said, boy, you know I don't pray. And, and, and you've got, you, you just got to have known my mother. I, I say this with all love, but my mom was five foot tall and five foot wide, all right? But I'm telling you, every inch of that five by five woman loved Jesus Christ, and she knew how to pray. And she was praying. Now, my daddy's name was William Richard. He went by the initials W.R., but living in the South, it sounded more like W.R., and so a lot of people just shortened it to Dub. So he was called Dub by most people. And so she began to cry. And she said, Dub, you've got to pray for that boy. You've got to lay your hands on that boy. And he said, I don't know how to pray. And I said, Daddy, all I'm asking you to do, any good thing you want for me, for Sharon, for Josh, I just want you to say that. And after about two hours, my dad finally relented and he laid his hand on my head. Now, Daddy's, and I'm, I'm not exaggerating, his hand would make two of mine. I, I mean, it, his hand was huge. And he laid his hand on me, my God. Now, he's not born again, but he's my earthly authority. Did you hear that? He's my earthly authority. And he began to say, God, I want you to bless Tony, bless Sharon, bless Josh, Every good thing you have for them, give them. I said, in Jesus' name. He said, oh, yeah, in Jesus' name. <laughs> Let me tell you something. Things begin to change. There was a shift. We, we always say a change of the atmosphere, a shift in the atmosphere. And there was a shift in the atmosphere in our relationship with my father. Now, he would always argue with me, but he would not argue with Sharon Willis. She could say stuff to him, and he'd just sit there. I always expected him to say, yes, ma'am. He never did that. But about six months later, we're over at the house, and we begin to talk to him. And Sharon begins to share Jesus with him. And she, she began, and I, I think she pronounced it properly. She said, W-R? You need to give your life to Jesus. He said, but I've done too many things. I can't be forgiven from all of them. She said, yes, you can. He said, I can't go back and make restitution. She said, you don't have to. Come to Jesus. And you know what? That night in that prayer, my father accepted Jesus Christ. Just a few weeks. Go ahead and give God praise. Give God praise. But listen... 
That happened just a few weeks after I had him to lay his hand on me. See, when you speak a blessing or you have a blessing spoken over you, you release the Holy Spirit to move not just in your life, but the life of the person speaking it, the life of the person that God needs to work in. And God worked in him. Peter said that if you'll do that, if you'll declare blessings, you will inherit a blessing. Now, I'm looking forward to heaven, but let me tell you something. One of my greatest inheritances was listening to my wife lead my father to Jesus Christ. And from that day forward, he would raise his hands in prayer. He would pray. He loved the Lord. He would tell us how much he loved Jesus. He was a changed man. And I take it all back to the fact that I was willing to humble myself and go to my father, even though he had abused me verbally and psychologically. And I said, Daddy, I need you to bless me. I need you to lay your hands on me and bless me. And when he did, that released the Holy Spirit and the will of God to work in my dad's life. And he came to Jesus Christ and was born again. Now give God another praise. Give him another praise. I share that only to let you see that as we bless those who persecute us, bless and do not curse, then we're going to see God move. People, our pastor and, and Pastor Phyllis, they're doing everything they can do to see God move in this church, to see revival, to see a great outpouring. And you know what? I believe... You, we are ready for it. I believe our pastors have prepared us and they'll continue to prepare us and we're ready for it. But I, I, think, I do believe, that, and this was laid on my heart, I believe there's one element that we've got to bring into this and we must learn to begin to speak blessings because our battle is not against flesh and blood but against principalities and spiritual wickedness but as we bless, that releases the Holy Spirit to work in people's lives. Thank you for listening to today's podcast. You can connect with us live each Wednesday and Sunday through our social media pages. If today's message has blessed you, please rate and review us so that more people can hear this message of Christ. Find out more about Calvary on our website at calvaryassembly.org.